Powered by Riverside. Welcome to Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together make this a better world where light pierces through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Well, I'm excited about our guest today. My new author friend is Dan Crane. I had the honor of meeting him through an associate at Dart Frog Books. Dan Crane is a law professor at the University of Michigan and a lawyer with a New York law firm. His academic specialty is antitrust law, but he also writes about a number of other subjects, including history, politics, and religion. His first murder mystery, Girl with Egg Basket, was published by Dart Frog Books in 2016. His latest mystery, The Crooked Queen, is set in Portugal. And we both found out that we have something in common. My my mother's family is from Portugal, and Dan lived in Portu- Portugal, where he spent the first 10 years of his life. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. But Dan, welcome. I'm so glad you're here in this space. Catherine, thanks so much. It's great to be with you today. Yeah. So just in a nutshell, just tell us how you ended up in Portugal, and and, and do you go back, and, and all that good stuff. Do you speak Portuguese? Yeah, so thanks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, my family lived in Portugal for about the first 10 years of my life. My parents worked there. Uh, and then um, just serendipitously, um, I'm a law professor and in about uh, 2008, uh, I was offered a position as a Fulbright scholar teaching at a university in Lisbon for three months. And I went wow. back over and hadn't uh, really spent much time there since I was a kid. Re- reconnected the country, fell in love with it again. Uh, and they asked me to keep coming back every year to teach a short course in the summer, which I've done. Uh, and so I've been to Portugal continuously over the last about 15 years. Uh, really love the place. And um, I do speak Portuguese. I'm trying to polish it up again. It, it's a little rusty with time, but um, I, I love the country. And it really was the inspiration for my, my new book, The Crooked Queen. Yeah, so it must be accurate. to the, So you know a lot about the setting. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I spend a lot of time going around to different um Places that are talked about in the book, uh, really digging into um, some some features of Portugal that are important to the book, like uh, the uh, the tile uh, art form, the azulejo art form that has hundreds of years of history in Portugal. It's a big piece of the book. Um, Portuguese history comes up a lot in the book. Portuguese cuisine uh, is, a, is a big, Portuguese pastries especially are, are a feature of the book. And so I really wanted to make this a, a, a book that um, sort of um, oozed and breathed um, Portugal, its history, its culture, uh, and, and elements of suspense and mystery that are, that are part of the, the narrative as well. I love that. I love place, I love books where even if they're fictitious, they're based on real places. And I, they're, they're books where it's made me curious about traveling to certain places. I visited different cafes and tried different foods because of a, a great work of fiction. So tell us about the pastries. I'm all about Oh, yeah. Portuguese pastries are the best. And they're, um, 
Uh, there's a line in, in the book that's a sort of joke that they're not they're never fattening. I wish that were true because they're they're, they're very very rich. But um, uh, the Portuguese, uh, in fact, the opening the opening paragraph of the book uh, goes into some detail about um, all of the different kinds of, of pastries that our protagonist is sampling uh, in her trip to Portugal. Uh, but um, uh, along with the different kinds of coffees you can get, so coffee and pastries go hand in hand. Uh, but that's really just the entry point into into good Portuguese cuisine. Okay, what's your favorite in terms of the bola de belém, uh, which is a it's basically it's a big fried um, dough ball with uh-huh. uh, crystal sugar on the outside and kind of a a, a, a creme de pâtisserie or like, um, uh, a a custardy filling. Uh, and it kind of just oozes out of this uh, wonderfully deep fried, um, very unhealthy, but very tasty pastry. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And what, what's your favorite Portuguese coffee? Um, so a mayo de leite, which is uh, half milk and half coffee and then uh, with ample sugar. So it's kind of like uh, a latte, but it's, uh, it's a very uh, distinct Portuguese version uh, called mayo de leite or, or half milk. Oh, man. Okay. So that's exciting. And if you happen to, you don't have to, but if you happen to have your book on hand, we would hear to hear, we would love to hear you read from a portion of it if you wanted to read the, the beginning chapter or. You know, I, I didn't even um, put it anywhere. I'm at my office. I don't think I have a copy right here. So okay. if, if I, if I happen to see it, I'll, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll come back to you with that. Sorry. I didn't even think about that. Well, next time, next time yeah. there, there's usually a next time. So, so tell me, what other author friends are you um, associated with and, and how does your author community help you become a better writer? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a kind of an unusual um, mystery writer because I'm a full-time law professor and academic. And so yeah. I do a lot of writing uh, that's, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's academic writing. But I do have a few friends uh, that are also academics mostly that also love to write uh, mysteries. So I have a good friend, uh, Ken Elzinga, who's a professor at the University of Virginia, an economist, a very well-known economist. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's written a number of, of mystery uh, novels that use economics to solve mysteries. And so Ken and I have collaborated over the years, uh, both on, on academic projects, but also in, in sharing drafts of, of mystery novels and uh, talking about the craft of being uh, a writer who kind of comes at this from an academic perspective, mm-hmm. but also realizes the most important thing with uh, telling a, is telling a story, telling a story that people can engage with mm-hmm. because it involves people and places that that speak to all of us. So, uh, so he's been a great uh, sort of collaborator and giving me advice, constructive criticism, and and helping me just think about uh, the craft of being a mystery writer. Yeah, yeah, and. So- I'm trying to think, isn't John, wasn't John Grissom a lawyer? Yeah, it's interesting. Many, uh, many uh, great writers, I'm not calling myself a great writer, but many great writers historically uh, have been, have been lawyers. Um, yeah. uh, you know, people, um, and I think there's a sort of a skill set that goes with uh, becoming a lawyer and then you, you learn about people because that's what law yeah. is about. It's ultimately people, motivations and psychology and, and human actions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Charles Dickens was trained as a lawyer, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, that really comes through in, in much of his writing that whether it's about law or just about, about society, about people, uh, mm-hmm. lawyers have to be good storytellers as well. Uh, you stand mm-hmm. in front of a jury and what you're always doing is, is telling a story. And so I, I right. tell my students when they write a legal brief, they're telling a story as well. So uh, I think my legal training has certainly helped in that way. Excellent. So in terms of books, are you looking for each of them to 
be its own individual work or are you trying to build a body of work with connections between each book? Certainly the latter. Um, I really am trying to, to build a body of work with connections between them. Mm -hmm. I've, I've written these two novels now, and uh, the, 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 the central character protagonist of the new novel, The Crooked Queen, mm -hmm. was a sort of secondary character in the first novel. And one of the things that, that, that happened is people reacted to the first book by telling me they really loved this one character. Uh, that, and every, I mean, almost everyone who gave me any reaction on the book told me that they, they loved that character. And so I decided when I, when, I, when I wrote the second novel, I wanted to sort of make it her story and, and really sort of build her out as the protagonist of the second story. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write in a pattern here, which is um, mystery novels that involve um, art um, sort of and, and, and different cultural resonances around different um, different art. Um, but that's sort of the pattern I'm trying to write on and, and, and trying to weave a few characters uh, into those stories that can kind of grow um, over time as I, as I build a portfolio of novels. Oh, excellent. Okay. And so after publishing the first book, did you find that you changed your process of writing? I, I've, I've tried. I think, you know, you always want to get better what you're doing, uh, try to learn um, from what people react to. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, for me as an academic writing a novel the first time, um, you know, there was a bit too much of an idea of sort of trying to write a a novel that that had all the right elements to it and, and sort of met the, met the structures of, of a good novel. And then you get you get people's feedback, um, readers who, who tell you what they liked and didn't like. Um, and what you start realizing is when you're telling a story like we we're talking about before, the mm -hmm. most important thing is you're connecting with people who are listening to your story. So right. instead of focusing on writing a technically perfect novel, uh, focus on telling a story that your listeners, your readers will connect to, that they will, they'll be interested in, they'll draw them in, that'll engage them. Um, and so that's something I'm very much trying to do with my second uh, novel and going forward. I, one, of the, one of the comments I, I, I got back a lot was, you know, what characters were, were relatable, which ones were not relatable? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and what's it mean to be relatable? What's it mean for a character to, to resonate with people? Uh, one of the, the, my favorite comments I got on the first novel was like this character I know that character. Like I, I've seen him. I know a person <laughs> like him, right? And I, yeah. I, I was interested in like seeing him portrayed there. And so, really thinking yeah. about genuine characters who, who who my readers will associate with, be interested in seeing how they how they develop and how they act. I love that. Oh wow! And what about um, what about investments? Like, what was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? Because some people are they they're led to believe. I don't know if you've ever heard this this kind of stuff when people say um to you when they hear you coming out with a book oh man you you're going to be um rolling in the dough you know with all this money that's going to come <laughs> i think well, we this is much promoting it right <laughs> right that's right so i mean i I'll, I'll both answer your question directly and then cheat a little bit in terms of uh -huh. you know investing investing in a good uh, just developmental editor early on mm -hmm. um is, is i think is worth the money someone yeah. who can who can be objective um, lots of us have friends uh, mm -hmm. and family who will do an early read, and right. sometimes they'll they'll try to be objective, you know. But let's let's face it, your mom is not the most <laughs> objective person to give you feedback on your novel, right? Or your brother, right. you know. And I, I love those people. They've they've done you know they've done really good things for me along the way, encouraging. But what you need is someone arm's length. So if you don't have an editor you're already working with, you need someone who will give you a, re a dose of reality uh, and mm -hmm. say like you're you know. 
like it's this is good or it's not good or this right. is not well explained or not. So I think you know I think it, it, that's worth the investment. That's mm-hmm. the money investment. But I think more important for me is just as a matter of lifestyle, which is I'm, I'm always looking for material uh, that generates stories that I can tell. And you know if you're if you're on a trip somewhere, for example, you're, I, I travel to a, a country or a different place uh, on business or something. And, you know, there's always a temptation just to go to the obvious sites, the tourist sites, and, and learn the obvious things. But mm-hmm. so much of what's interesting in telling a story is, is the stuff that's not obvious. It's like, how does this uh, security of this dock work? Uh, how mm-hmm. does this, this, this kitchen's uh, uh, recycling work, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and the people who work in those places. So if you can find opportunities, make that investment in just being curious not mm-hmm. just about the glamorous things or the obvious things, but being curious about the way the world works and the way people work. There are there are stories and interesting angles everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so investing the time to look for those things, I, I think, always pays off. Yeah, I like that. You know, harnessing your experiences as as a way to develop yourself as an author. That's really good. Not waste anything. Yeah. Right. That's good stuff. Okay, this is a silly question, but one I love. As a writer, what would you choose as your mascot or avatar or spirit animal? Well, I'm glad you previewed that question for me before because I'd have had trouble coming up with an answer on the spot. But I'll say for me, it's the ant, which is, you know, so much of writing is is not glamorous. It's mm-hmm. just keeping going at it, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think about a, a new project I'm working on, a new novel, I often get excitement of the big concept and thinking up the story and, and sort of imagining how it's all going to look when it's done and all the surprises and the characters and the twists and turns. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of come up with my, my, my outline, my sketch of it, and I start writing. Um, but writing is work. And even though I love to write and it really feeds me and energizes me, um, there, not, not every day, right? There's times you just have to pick up uh, the computer keyboard and, and just make progress, even if it's a paragraph mm-hmm. or, or a page. Um, and so I think the difference between lots of people who have the aspiration to write and the people who actually finish something is diligence, like the ant. It's just mm-hmm. continuing on, uh, laboring on, uh, understanding that writing is a job and that mm-hmm. it's not always fulfilling every single time you're doing it, but that if you can keep going at it, uh, mm-hmm. even when you don't feel like it, even when you're tired, um, that that you will you will have the reward at the end of a job well done. So mm-hmm. I think that for me the ant is a is a really nice metaphor for that. Oh, that's different. I I never had an ant before. <laughs> that's a, that's a first. That's good, and I love the explanation. So so now tell me, um, since you have you you do a lot, <laughs> you, you do a lot of things. Um, gosh, even traveling to be a professor in Portugal and all. So how do you find the time to write, you know, your fictitious books, your novels? Yeah, so I, I try to, um, I, I don't do it all the time. So it's, it's I decided to write a novel and I, um, I, I usually, I usually sort of stew on it for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, really important to me is getting the, is getting the full book down before I start writing. So mm-hmm. I always write a detailed, probably 10 page single spaced outline of the book uh, mm-hmm. or just. Uh, you know, uh, so so I, I have to see that the plot works from from right. cover to to, to to end before I start. But then once I start, um, it's really deciding that I'm going to do it, and that means mm-hmm. finding the time. Um, if it's not every day, at least finding the time. You know, all, like many many days a week, 
where I can set aside an hour or two hours to just do this thing. Um, that means sacrifice. It means I'm not, you know, watching sports or doing something else I might prefer to be doing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it just takes that sort of that determination. So one thing I found is is if I if I start something and then I let it drop for a long time, try to come back to it, mm -hmm. I've lost the flow. So I, I need to yeah. I need to sort of decide I'm going to do it, outline it, and then in about you know six months, typically I need to have finished it or less, or yeah. else it's not going to have the kind of cohesion. Right. Okay. That's good stuff. And then do you have, do you have any kind of rituals that you do? Um, I, I mean, I tend to light candles. I have a soundtrack to start to, it depends. Every book wants a different sound. Do you do any of that? Yeah. You know, the one thing I do is I typically have a particular image in mind. Mm -hmm. when I, that's where I associate with the book that I kind of come back to. So in this 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 most recent book, it was uh, tiles, these Portuguese ornate tiles. And I collect these tiles from from Portugal. Uh -huh. But like having a like that that tile next to my desk when I'm working, and so I I, mm -hmm. I want to recenter myself on what mm -hmm. this book is about. Having mm -hmm. that 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 concrete object or image that I keep coming back to kind of centers me as I make progress forward. Oh, okay. Wow. That's good. And okay. That's, yeah, that's really good. So what do you, what do you feel like literary success would mean to you? To me, literary success means that there is some group of people out there who, who read what I write and, and it, and really deeply enjoy it. Not just sort of a one-off that was fun to read, but, but actually, um, they, they think harder about life because of it. And, mm -hmm. and I get some feedback out of that. It doesn't have to be a large number of people. I, I, I'm not, uh, it doesn't have to be, I'm, a, I'm writing a bestseller, but, but people mm -hmm. who, who look forward to the next novel I write and think, mm -hmm. I want to hear more about th this person's life. Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about this kind of a story. I want to think more about the kinds of themes that this novel is raising and this sequence of novels is raising. Right. That's what success would be like to me. The idea that, that the people who read, people who, who find it meaningful, people who want who are looking forward to engaging more in the future. Okay. And and do you get a chance to engage with your readers at all? Yeah, so I, I you know, um people correspond with me. I, I my email address is, is openly accessible on mm -hmm. um the University of Michigan website where I'm a law professor, so people will <laughs> write me and uh and, uh, and and mention uh, things that they have liked or, or not liked. Um, uh, people, you know, will people will will talk to me at you know at people at conferences who read a book or something. Or uh, and so, so I, I I do I do come across people who who have read and, and want to react. And that's always mm -hmm. it's always interesting to me to to hear what they heard, to hear like see what stood out to them, um, and and to be able to hopefully improve my my craft from that. Yeah. And what about reviews? Do you do you um read them and if if you do read them how do you handle the good and the bad yeah so i do try to read them i'm not sure i catch them all but um uh i i do read the reviews and my rule for myself is that i have to have the same level i i can't be more excited for the good reviews than i am despondent for the bad ones or vice versa which is to say mm -hmm. i try to keep my own sort of emotional reaction in check so if i read a positive review um, I have to say, good, 
you know, I'm glad that was well, but I'm not going to let it go to my head when I, when I, if I read a more negative review. It's also, oh, too bad. Like, I, I'm going to learn from that, but I'm not going to let yeah. it bring me down. Because okay. I think that the, the biggest risk is someone who, you know, you, 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 you go, you, you hear the good review, the positive review, and you're like on cloud nine, <laughs> and then you hear the negative review, and it takes you down to the depths of Hades, right? And you can't <laughs> be that way in life. You can't be that way for reviews. You have yeah. to sort of, and, and, and like, and reminding yourself, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to mm-hmm. read this now. I'm, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to move on. Uh, and, and so keeping that balance, I think, is critical. Okay. That's good. That's very healthy. Yeah. Yeah, because there are other authors I've spoken to, and they they said that, you know, you could get hundreds of great reviews, and it's just they'll sit there just thinking about these three bad reviews they got. And that's yeah. how we are as humans. So we, we do have to train our minds to be different. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's good. So what have you found to be the best way to market your books? Yeah, so I, I'm fairly new at this still, and I, I'm not sure I've got a, a huge uh, success story to, to bring or anything like that. But um, uh, for me, you know, I I, um, I have a platform, which is, you know, I'm an academic. I, I speak a lot about, I get out there, I get out to the national news media a lot, uh, talk to, mm-hmm. you know, reporters, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, about all kinds of things. I speak at conferences. I speak at big public events a lot. And so for me, a lot of it's just is bringing my existing sort of professional platform and trying to leverage that in, in, in little ways to um, uh, to make people aware of the fact that I'm also writing these novels. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if I speak at an event, making sure that's in my bio. Um, you know, I, I, when people introduce me at conferences, I love it when they put a little plug in for the novel. Uh, when I, I've got a presence on X or formerly Twitter, right? Um, and I've got, you know, several you know, some thousands of followers there. And uh, I can sort of push out a message through those kinds of uh, media. So for me, it's just... Um, sort of, you know, the idea that I'm going to sort of build an entirely new network from scratch for my sort of persona as a novelist is probably not realistic, but, yeah. you know, leveraging whatever platform I already have is, is my strategy. That's really good advice. Um, you, you'll see sometimes people feel like they've got to live completely different lives and they even have a pen name. Uh, they don't want to be associated with their whatever they do as a business. But um, I found they just kind of throw it all together, you know, uh, and I certainly understand where you're coming from because you're an academic. And I, I was a school principal for, for many years and mm. um, never hid from any of that and then segued into, into um, different roles in the publishing industry. But I just kind of use my website as a, as a one stop, you know, what, you know, get all the things there and I don't really shy away from, from that. And I like, I like that you said that because some people starting out, feel that they have to be completely separate. And so your actually your existing platform can work for you. I love that you said sometimes people give a plug for a book when they're introducing you. And that's great because I think it makes you even more interesting if they're going there to to um, hear you speak on an aspect of law and then they find out that you also are a novelist. You know, so Right, right. Yeah. Great advice. Um you talked uh, quite a bit about, you know, this, even this last no- novel and some of the research you do, but how long do you spend researching before be- beginning a project? Yeah. So, um, I usually spend a good bit of time researching, particularly like this last novel it was set in Portugal. I was delving into Portuguese history, Portuguese cuisine, Portuguese mm-hmm. art forms, um, 
you know, just the Portuguese architecture in many ways. Yeah. And and for me, you know, obviously I wouldn't have tried that unless I was spending a lot of time in Portugal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I was describing a site, a scene in Portugal, I wanted to go there. I wanted to take notes. I mm-hmm. wanted to take pictures. Uh, there's a, a really important uh, couple of chapters in, in, in The Crooked Queen that take place in this one um, uh, hotel in its grounds in Coimbra, which is in the sort of the bit uh, to the north of Lisbon. Um, and it, it's, it's this place I've visited many times, uh, and it has a whole association of Portuguese history with the sort of the backstory, which is this the murder of this queen in the 13th century. And and it's um, it, it's you know a place that I, I just had to master. I had to go there and actually take you know extensive notes and and pictures and just sort of and, and walk along the grounds at night and in the day and sort of just figure out the story because. Uh, what you don't want to do is write something that's not authentic, right? Which yeah. where people like you just you just read that you read, read that in photos. You didn't actually go there, right? Uh, right. And so I've I've tried very hard to uh, to do my do my research and and make sure that um, you're not going to see most of what I research, but you know whatever mm-hmm. I tell you, you can you can you can rely on. Mm, that's so good. And what do you find challenging about writing characters from the opposite sex? Is that hard? Yeah, it is, and it's it's funny. I mean, I didn't plan it this way, but the 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 principal characters in both my novels so far have been women, um, and you know there is a challenge, which is, am I going to come across? Am I going to say something that's going to rub someone the wrong way? Uh, am I going to assume things that are not that are not consistent with the characters? Um, but um, I, I'm not, you know, I didn't necessarily plan it this way, but it, it it just like those those characters kind of came to life for me as the ones I wanted to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the you know at the end of the day, human motivation is human motivation, uh, mm-hmm. and um, I, I'm I am not my character. I'm just not, like I don't. These are not biographical works, yeah. uh, autobiographical works. So I, I'm trying to present um, these these people uh, through an ordinary human lens, and what I know about human motivation, um, and, and in general, explains who these people are. So I, I do sometimes worry about that a little bit, but thus far, I think it's worked out okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you ever, so you said earlier that you have beta readers. So do you ever run it past like a female to to make sure this is checking out? Yeah, I do that. I, I ask, I try to get a good cross section of people uh, coming, you know, speaking uh, back to me and, 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 and or, or, or particular things asking people, you know, would, does this sound plausible to you or not? Um, so that it's, it's really important. It's really important to get beta readers, people who are critical, um, especially people who are critical at arm's length who are not going to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We need, we need a variety of people to speak into our lives to keep us on the right track. That's good. That's a good point. That's surely right. And, and if you could write full time, would you and why or why not? I, I would love to. I mean, if I could, if I could become a full time novelist and, and make a living doing that. And uh, <laughs> I, mean, I think I would, I would regret giving up uh, some of what I love about being a professor, but I, I do love to write. Um, I love to tell stories uh, and to connect with people over those stories. So um, maybe someday when I'm close to retirement, that this will become a possibility. And uh, I don't plan to spend my retirement golfing. Uh, I think writing <laughs> novels sounds like a lot more fun to me. It does. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you a way to just continue working. Um, right. No matter what. Yeah. Um, so tell us what, what kind of secrets, if any, do you ever hide in your books at all? So, yeah, I, I do try to, um, 
I do try to write for lots of different people at once. And, I, and some mm-hmm. people will be more interested in some things than others. And so I do try to, uh, there's, there's like little references sometimes, that sometimes little jokes, little plays on words or historical references. I know that can be annoying to people. And, you know, if, if you're kind of like, you're not in on some joke or something, but I do try to layer, um, whether it's secrets or just references in sometimes that I know like most people probably won't get. But mm-hmm. for the few people who do get it, they'll really enjoy getting it, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I do kind of think that way, um, that 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 I'm writing for a broad set of people, and I know different people have the, the capacity to enjoy different things about uh, what I write, and I, I want to sort of create different opportunities for different people to to get it. Mm-hmm. And so, so just give us a snapshot of your your two books like the, the one you wrote in 2016 and the, the current one give us tell us a little bit about each sure so the one in 2016 um girl with egg basket is actually set in a law school so this is something obviously i know about uh and it involves a, a murder that takes place like in the faculty lounge in the opening mm-hmm. parts of the book and it's a wow. young uh, a young um untenured law professor a woman uh named nell who's trying to solve that mystery it involves stolen art and a whole sort of circle of intrigue there. And then in the course of that book, she comes across this character uh, whose name is Lacey, and she becomes the central character of my second book, The Crooked Queen. Lacey's nickname is The Mouse because she's always like scurrying around, discovering things uh, that no one else can find. Um, But she's a a law school dropout, um, super smart um, person, but a kind of quirky individual um, who always seems to insinuate herself into situations that other people cannot get into. And, mm-hmm. and, and she becomes a private investigator. Uh, and in the second book, she's on assignment in Portugal. She's supposed to be uh, trying to try to discover some, some stolen documents for a client. Uh, and she gets pulled into this other mystery involving uh, a, a disappeared, presumably murdered um, a man and his family uh, and this piece of art, this famous piece of art uh, that is at the center of his disappearance. And so she begins to sort of help them unwind, uh, unravel this mystery and has to go to various places in Portugal and answer various kinds of, of questions, uh, historical questions, but also uh, questions about human motivation uh, as she as she does that. So it's really the second one's really building on the first one. This character yeah. who's um, kind of this quirky private investigator uh, and uh, and often sort of goes into these funny undercover situations where she's posing as someone else to try to get information. Oh, she sounds interesting. Yeah. And then tell us um, about how long does it take take you to write a book? And we don't want to have to wait years and years <laughs> before you. <laughs> I know you're busy, right. though. You're busy. <laughs> well, so um, from the time I sat down to write, I'm not always, I don't have one in progress right now. So so when yeah. I sat down to write one, it'll, it'll, from um, conception to completion, probably a year. Although the first six months is typically the researching, the development mm-hmm. phase, or really making sure before I start writing the actual text of the novel that I, I know exactly where it's going and it's, yeah. and I have all the material for it. The, the actual writing time is about six months. Um, wow. Typically I, I, I work pretty quickly. Um, I, I have lots of other ac- academic commitments through that time as well. So I'm writing other books and articles and doing lots yeah. of practicing law as well. Uh, mm. So this is always a, a sideshow for me, but I, I do try to get it done pretty quickly once I start. Wow. Oh my goodness. So do you have a secret in terms of managing your schedule to get all these things done? Try to be efficient. Um, you know, that means, um, you know, try to pick up a task, try to finish it, try to put it down. And also for, for just for writing, 
trying to budget daily time. Um, you know, it's, as I said before, sometimes you're just tired. And I think, oh, I'm not going to do it today. And I think, yeah. can I write even a paragraph? If I can just write another paragraph yeah. uh, that gives me continuity, uh, that might take me 20 minutes or half an hour. Uh, and then if I write one paragraph, I think, can I write another one? You know, so, so just yeah. trying to stay on track with doing a little bit every day. And then there are times when you're just in the groove, right? And when you're in the mm-hmm. groove, you just kind of try to run with it and, 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 and just be productive as much as possible. But, mm-hmm. but not, not waiting to be in the groove. That's, I think, the key message, which is if you only write, like when you feel like it and you're just full of the energy for it and good things are coming to mind, then at least I would, I would never finish because those right. kinds of moments are not every day, they're not even every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that because it definitely shows you how to build tenacity and stick to your project even when you i like that you said that even when you don't feel like it you can't wait to get in the mood (laughs) that's right oh i love it well i can't believe that we're at the end of our time already this has been wonderful um i really hope you come back and and talk to us um you know when you pump out the next novel or who knows maybe we can talk about law stuff you know we're always looking anytime thank you my pleasure thank you for having me so tell our listeners, how can they stay in touch with you? So I'm on X. I'm uh, Daniel Dan Crane, uh, at Daniel Dan Crane on, on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, but you can always find me on the University of Michigan Law School's website. Just search my name up and uh, you'll get my email address. Just send me an email. Always love to hear from people and have I, you know, who have ideas or critiques or just want to chat about something. I'd love to stay in touch. All right. Well, listeners... Um, I hope you continue to stay tuned. I'm grateful that Dan was able to hang out with us today. And don't forget to continue to pierce through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Powered by Riverside.